Hi everyone, it's Shell, and I'm coming to you from the editing room. We experienced some technical issues while we were recording this episode, so it may sound different than you're used to, but please bear with us. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Whose Crime Is It Anyway? I'm Shell. And I'm Lisa. And we're here with another story of true crime from the true north. Today, I'm going to be diving deep into one of Victoria, B.C.'s most baffling missing persons cases. Lise, have you ever had a point in your life where you just wanted to be nomadic, buy a Volkswagen van or a Winnebago and travel the world? Oh yeah, all the time. Right? I know. I I would do that now. I feel like it's like the mid-20s quarter-life crisis kind of thing where... Yeah, you want to see the world... Kind yeah, of, you want to travel around? Yeah, make it on your own, be an independent woman. Exactly. I think I've always had a longing to do that, but I know that I probably wouldn't survive camping for very long. Because <laughs> you're so experienced. <laughs> no, I'm not experienced at all. I mean, I like glamping. Yeah, so I think I usually opt for like road trips and hotels over that. For sure. But this transient lifestyle was the literal dream for the young woman in this case. She was a free spirit, creative thinker, and a poet who was trying to find her way in the world when she suddenly vanishes without a trace. For this story, we are going back to 2012 in Victoria, British Columbia, where a young woman was starting a new life for herself in a brand new city. She was setting off on her own adventure, leaving her hometown in Ontario to pursue her dreams of travel, friends, photography, and writing. But after arriving in Victoria, things took a drastic turn. Without a stable living situation or a job lined up, this woman had a lot to deal with on her own. But she still remained in good spirits, until she was spotted outside the famous Empress Hotel, shoeless and scared on a cold November night. After that, she disappeared. This is the story of Emma Filipoff. Take it away, girl. On November 20th, 2012, 26-year-old Emma Filipoff walks into the local YMCA in Victoria, British Columbia. She's wearing cargo pants, a cropped gray jacket, and a pink scarf around her neck. She wants to take out a membership, and she spends a little bit of time in the building walking through the halls. But as she goes to leave, she stands at the door, peering outside. She pauses before exiting the building, but within minutes, she walks back inside. Again, she looks around and looks out the glass doors to the sidewalk outside. Then, she once again decides to leave, and the pattern repeats. She walks back inside the YMCA again within minutes. Okay, this already sounds like a Blair Adams thing, like where he's going in and out of the hotel lobby. It's so weird. Right? Like, was it raining outside? Like, what was the weather like? I can't tell what the weather is like. I'm assuming it could be raining. It's November. Yeah, like maybe she was just like, ah, fuck, do I stand outside? Totally fair. That could be it. But within a 14-minute time frame, Emma walks in and out of the building four times. Yeah, that's a lot. So I'm going to show you the security footage, and I want to know your thoughts on what you think is happening. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird. She's standing inside the lobby, just staring outside. But then when she walks back inside, she's just still staring out. It's, I don't know, just very weird. Okay, and then she just like walks off eventually. She just seems like really unsure, almost just nervous or worried about something. I was wondering like, was she waiting for someone to show up or was she like maybe making sure no one was outside waiting for her? Oh. Like the coast is clear kind of thing. Yeah, like thinking somebody was waiting and following her. Yeah, and I thought she looked scared too. Like a little bit hesitant, scared. She's looking outside, just checking, looking over her shoulder. Yeah, and I mean, we can't see her face, but her body language says a lot. It does. 
So no one knew it at this point, but something just wasn't quite right in Emma Filipov's world. So the 26-year-old is from Perth, Ontario, and she had made the move to Victoria at the end of 2011 for a change of pace and to escape some family drama. So Victoria is our capital city here in British Columbia, and it's located on Vancouver Island, and it's pretty gorgeous there. It's a harbor city with cobblestone streets and a lot of history. Have you spent much time in Victoria? Uh, not a lot. I was there last summer for a weekend. Things weren't shut down yet, and we were still allowed to have our little right. bubble of six people that we could actually still do things with. But yeah, it's a beautiful city, super laid back, fun nightlife. Yeah, it's, it's nice. I spent a lot of time there when I was younger, um, but I haven't been since I've been an adult. I haven't been back, but I always remember it to be pretty laid back. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure to Emma, it seemed like a perfect place to land as she set off on her own. Yeah. So Emma was really affected by her parents' divorce, which happened when she was 22, and she felt really caught in the middle by it. She wasn't on great terms with her mom, and her dad had another woman in his life, so I think it makes total sense why Emma would want to escape Ontario and start living life by her own rules. Yeah, exactly. And going back to traveling the world in a van, that's mm -hmm. what Emma really wanted to do. Right. So she bought herself a red Mazda MPV, but unfortunately, it kept getting towed. So the day after she took out that membership at the YMCA, on Wednesday, November 21st, her van is towed, and she calls a tow truck driver to pick her up in Victoria, drive out to Souk, which is about 45 minutes away, and then tow her van from Souk back to Victoria. Jesus, is, is that the closest lot in Victoria? Like, that seems way too far to tow a car. That's what I was like, thinking. Like, really making people work for it, Jesus. I guess it was all the way out there. So during the trip with the tow truck driver, Emma is in really good spirits. She actually tells him that she's planning to surprise her family and go back to Perth, Ontario. She's been in Victoria for about a year at this point. Oh. So I was thinking maybe her plan was to take her van and do a road trip back home. Mm -hmm. Like kind of go cross country, coast to coast. Right. Yeah, it's super scenic all across Canada. It's a really nice drive. But two nights later, on Friday, November 23rd, something wasn't right. Emma calls her mom, Shelly, around midnight in a panic. She's crying on the phone and she wants to come home. Oh. She wouldn't say what was wrong to her mom, but Shelly books her a flight from Victoria back to Perth immediately. So was it midnight in Ontario or midnight in Victoria? It's a good question. So this timeline is from the family's website. So I'm going to assume that it's from Emma's point of view. So I would say it's probably midnight Emma's time, which is going to be like three in the morning Shelly's time. Okay. At this point, Emma's parents don't know very much about Emma's life in Victoria. Emma always had a lot of friends, and she had friends in Victoria too. So Shelly, Emma's mom, believed that she was staying with friends while she was there and working her job at a seafood restaurant, mm -hmm. which is kind of the last thing that she had told her parents. The caller ID on the phone number Emma used said Sandy Merriman, which Shelly believed was one of Emma's friends. Had she heard that name before? I don't know if she'd heard it before, but I think, you know, when you see that pop up on a caller ID, you're like, okay, she's staying with like a girlfriend right. somewhere. Yeah, okay. And Emma didn't have a cell phone, so mm -hmm. that also could be why, like she's using someone else's phone. Right. So Emma was beautiful, kind, creative, and emotional. She was intelligent academically, but she was a very private person. Emma would communicate with her family and friends back home in Ontario via email, but her emails would be cryptic and usually written in poetry. Oh. Yeah, so Emma was a poet, she had journals, and she wrote a lot. So when she was writing her emails, like they would always kind of be in prose or in poetry. And sometimes you kind of have to read between the lines. Oh, jeez. And if you're not into poetry and you can't dissect a freaking poem, like, what do you mean? Right. What do you mean? Right. I'm sure they were kind of confused. 
but I think that might have been how she kind of always was. So I don't know if it was that surprising to anyone. Right. She was just a very creative, eccentric kind of person. Yeah. She's just a really creative person. And I think she just loved doing that kind of stuff. And that was like her vibe. So for her to call her mom is kind of a big deal. Like if her normal method of communication was by email. I think so too. I think that it normally, like she wouldn't call her mom even just to chat because she was such a private person. So I think that this was, this set off some alarm bells in Shelly's mind. And when Emma didn't tell her mom what was wrong on the phone, Shelly actually didn't pry too much. She just wanted to get her daughter back home to Ontario. Mm -hmm. So the flight is booked at this point. And, you know, she's kind of thinking, her mom's thinking at this point, okay, I'm going to see Emma tomorrow. But on the next day, on Saturday, November 24th, Emma calls her mom back from the same number. She had changed her mind. She tells her mom to cancel the flight and that she's going to figure things out on her own. Oh my God. So reluctantly, Shelly cancels the flight, but Mm -hmm. she still remains worried about her daughter. Of course. Then that same day on Saturday, Emma calls her mom a third time. This time... She asks Shelly to book a flight to Victoria to help her pack up all of her things and be there for support while Emma makes the transition back to Ontario. Oh my God. So now she's asking her mom to fly to Victoria instead of her just flying back to Ontario. Right. So Shelly books herself her own flight and tells Emma that she will be there the next day. But as you can probably guess, there would be more phone calls. The next day, on Sunday, November 25th, Emma talks to her mom again and says that she's changed her mind. Oh my god. She tells her mom not to fly out. (sighs) Shelly, at this point, says that she hears sadness in Emma's voice, Mm -hmm. but she seems more clear and confident this time with no tears, no crying, no panic. But Shelly is still worried, so she doesn't actually unpack her suitcase. She waits to hear from Emma again to decide what to do. Mm -hmm. While these phone calls are happening, Shelly is relaying the information to the rest of the family, Emma's siblings and her dad. They all say that Emma is smart and capable and has always been fiercely independent and that she will figure things out on her own time and to just do as she wishes instead of pushing her one way or the other. And I'm assuming this advice is also coming from some of the family drama that had happened in the past. And, you know, Emma and her mom, I I wouldn't say they had a falling out, but I think there was just a lot of drama. Emma had to call the police on her mom at one point because she was, like, threatening the dad with a knife. Okay. There were some, like, high tensions going on in the family. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, because... The dad had essentially left her for another woman, and it was just like this big blowout. Yeah. Yikes. While she waits for another phone call from Emma, Shelly decides to call back the number Emma had been using, Sandy Merriman. To Shelly's surprise, she learns that Sandy Merriman is not a person, but a place. What? It's actually a woman's shelter that Emma had been staying at regularly on and off for a full year. Holy shit. So finding out this information obviously puts Shelly's mother instincts on high alert. Totally. I actually think that when Emma returned to the shelter, they informed her that her mother had called them. Um, This was said in another news article that I read because Emma calls her mom back that evening on Tuesday, November 27th. Oh my God. She's again in tears and she's panicked way more than the last times that Shelly has talked to her. Emma wants to come home to Ontario, and she asks her mom again to come and get her. This time she says to her mom, I don't know if I can face you. And I think she says this because she knows that her mom now knows that she's been staying at a shelter. Like, she's kind of embarrassed that she's not leading this life that she had planned? I think so. And I think... You know, that would be a hard place to be. You have all these big aspirations and you're going to set out on your own. Remember, she's so independent, like doesn't need anyone to take care of her. 
and she's now asking right. for help. I think, you know, even in the act of asking is like a big deal for her. For sure. That's a difficult, like that's a tough pill to swallow. Exactly. So on this actual like same day that she calls her mom again, Emma's van had been towed again. (laughs) And where is she parking it? Okay, so this is what I was so confused about because I'm like, okay, she has this van and obviously she doesn't have a stable place to live. So I believe she's just been parking the van around downtown Victoria in parking lots. Oh. And then, you know, a hotel parking lot or a supermarket parking lot, like who knows? And then they're like the people who own that lot are getting it towed because it's staying there overnight for nights and nights. Well, where is this shelter? Like, is there no parking there? It's a good question. I don't know. I would assume the shelter's downtown. Like it's, uh, it's kind of in the core area of Victoria. So maybe there isn't a designated parking lot for it. And there's just like a random lot that she just keeps taking it to. Exactly and it keeps getting towed. But what I can't figure out is why isn't she driving the van? Like, you know, if it's gonna get towed. Well, maybe she can't afford the insurance. Yes, that's such a good point. Like maybe she can't afford the insurance or can't afford the gas or something. Because remember, she got the tow truck driver to drive her out to Sook. And tow it back. Exactly, and tow it back. Right, so she probably didn't have insurance. Like it's expensive. Yeah. I mean, if she can't afford a phone or place to live, she probably can't afford car insurance either. I mean, this van, like, it, I think she had a real connection to it. I think it really represented something to her. Right. Because, yeah, she's parking it in lots, it keeps getting towed, and then she keeps trying to save it each time. Well, it's still worth money. Still worth money, but she's not driving it. She's not leaving on Mm -hmm. her trip. So I'm just wondering, like, what's going on in her mind right now if she had this kind of big aspiration to travel cross-country right you know what's going on after this call after emma's van had been towed shelly actually books a flight out the very next morning and she doesn't cancel this one i think at this point it's been too many calls back and forth and she's like no How many cancellation fees is that now? Well, I think it's been within the 24 hours. So I'm sure she like books it and then cancels it. Right, yeah, yeah. Cancels it. Like, oh my goodness. My God. Then comes Wednesday, November 28th, 2012. Shelly has her flight booked, but Emma calls at 4.30 a.m. telling her mom to stay in Ontario and not to come to Victoria. No. She says... Don't come, not today. My mom would never listen to that. She would just say, hell no, you need my help, and this is ridiculous, I'm coming. Exactly, and Shelly has the same inclination. Like, she is going out there, but she actually tells Emma that she won't fly out, but she she still boards the flight. She's going to go and help her daughter, and she's decided this. Right. Well, she probably doesn't want her to take off. So if she says that she's coming, Emma might not wait for her. Right. Then that might trigger her again to do something different. Right. So later that morning at 7 a.m., Emma goes to her van, which is parked in a lot at the Chateau Victoria Hotel. There's a notice on it for it to be towed once again. (laughs) I know. And well, she dodged a bullet. Yeah, and again, like Emma gets upset by this because she actually goes in and asks the hotel staff for one more day for it to be mm-hmm. parked there. And they reported kind of her state of mind, and they actually said that they agreed. Oh. So they gave her one more day. Um, well, that was nice of in them. A lot. Yeah. Then we actually have more surveillance footage of Emma. So she goes into a 7-Eleven at 8.23 a.m., which is only a two-minute walk from the Chateau Victoria. Okay, so basically we're like right next door. Right next to it, yeah. So she uses her debit card to buy a $200 prepaid credit card. She's wearing the same camo pants, a beige winter jacket, and the same pink scarf that she had on at the YMCA a week earlier. She's carrying several bags and her purse. She tries to linger in the store, not leaving right away. So again, she kind of does the same thing as she did at the YMCA. She peers out the glass in the doors as if she was looking for someone or checking to make sure someone wasn't there 
or maybe following her. Okay, so she's got all of her bags, so obviously she's left the shelter and she's on the move. Yeah, and again, I think for me, looking at this surveillance footage of her, she seems paranoid. Mm -hmm. I think that's like the best word to describe it, is she just seems so paranoid Mm -hmm. that something or someone is around her. Whether it's like following her or she's worried about something, like it's just so strange the way she's acting. Mm And throughout the rest of the day, on that Wednesday, there are some sightings of Emma. People reported that they saw her standing on street corners, looking dazed or out of it, and sometimes not even recognizing that she was talking to a friend or someone that she knew. Oh. So some people saw her and approached her saying like, hey Emma, how's it going? And she almost didn't even know who they were when they've actually been friends or had a rapport, you know, talked a lot in the past. Well, that's worrisome. Totally. And she actually refused to accept help from anyone who offered it. (sighs) And, you know, some people were, like, they kind of saw how she was acting Mm -hmm. and were worried about her and said, hey, do you need me to take you somewhere or, like, walk with you or, you know, come on the bus and we could go somewhere, that kind of thing. And she just said no to anyone who offered help. She just didn't want any help. Yeah, exactly. And then on the same evening, she returns to that same 7-Eleven that she bought that prepaid credit card from. Mm -hmm. She goes back to that 7-Eleven at 5.45 that same evening. What time was her mom's flight? So I'm assuming that the mom's flight was in the morning Ontario time. Right, because of the time change. It's like a three-hour time difference. Because of the time difference, yeah. yeah. And it takes about five, five and a half hours to fly from Toronto to Vancouver, so... I guess depending if she flew into Victoria or Vancouver, I have no idea. It would probably just take all day. It would take, it would, it's a long flight. Okay, so it's the evening now and she's back at the 7-Eleven. Exactly. So she's back at the 7-Eleven and surveillance footage shows Emma purchasing a prepaid cell phone with her debit card this time. So like I said earlier, Emma has never had a cell phone before. So my question is, why did she want one now? Right, because she was able to get a hold of her mom from like the shelter. So there's clearly access to phones for her. Like, why buy one? Right. So my question is, was she going to be leaving where she thought she might not have access to a phone for a while? And so she she wanted to have a phone on Mm -hmm. her just in case. That makes sense. So once again, Emma waits at the door before leaving of the 7-Eleven and she looks out very cautiously and she actually puts her hand on the window like this kind of covering her face to peer outside. It's dark out at this point so she can't really see outside. Okay like kind of when it's dark outside but it's light inside so you have to put your hands up beside your eyes so that you can actually see out. Totally. I actually have footage of this, so I'm going to show it to you. Let me know what you think in comparison to the YMCA footage from a week prior. She spends a lot of time looking out that window. Like she's standing there for a while, almost like hesitant. I don't want to go out there like I'm scared. Right. It's weird. It's like inside is safe and outside is scary for her. Mm Mm-hmm. And she's not going back and forth at all. It just looks like she doesn't want to go outside. It seems like she's, like, this fear is getting worse. Totally. I think it's escalating for her. So after she buys this cell phone at the 7-Eleven, Emma goes back to Sandy Merriman Women's Shelter around 6 p.m. Apparently, the staff told Emma that her mother actually was, in fact, coming to Victoria. Oh, God. And... Emma became very upset by this news, and she actually stormed out of the shelter. This is exactly why she didn't tell her, because she was going to storm off. Well, the weird thing is, is that Shelly says she never told the shelter that she was actually coming to Victoria. What? They might have got their wires crossed somewhere. Like, Shelly said that she had definitely called the shelter before, like, to inquire, but... She had never told them that, like, confirmed that she was coming in to Victoria that day. Wow. So just, like, bad luck that they misunderstood the conversation and it just, like, ruined her plan. I know. So when Emma left the shelter, um, one of the employees there actually ran after her, but Emma had already disappeared into the night. 
So I think that at this point, a lot of different events are happening for Emma that are triggering her. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about the potential of mental illness in this case? Well, I was going to ask, like, does she have any history of mental illness? There's just so much paranoia, almost like um, an Elisa Lamb situation. Right. Yeah. And Emma actually does have a history. So it's something I was wondering as well. And her mom, Shelly, Mm -hmm. has said that there's a family history of mental illness, although I could not find which kind of mental illness but I think that further worried her mom about Mm -hmm, Emma's state of mind during all of those calls back and forth for sure and I think even since Emma was young like around 11 or 12 her mom has had suspicions that Emma might be suffering from you know mental health issues or some kind of mental illness And she is, you know, on her own. She's not making a lot of money. She's living in a shelter. She doesn't have her family around her or like Mm -hmm. a really strong community. She's got friends, but it doesn't seem like she's really connecting with any of them on like a really deep level. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't have a partner. She doesn't have a boyfriend at this point. So I think that's kind of where I'm leaning. It just almost sounds like she's just having some sort of manic episode. An episode or something. And so I was wondering if, you know, this had happened before or she had experienced any of this in the past. So I kind of did some digging. There were some reports from friends that while she was in Victoria, she actually made a commitment to live a better life. So she had quit drinking, quit smoking. She went vegan and she wasn't having any sugar. And she was drinking a lot of water every single day, like copious amounts of water, according to her friends. And they said that she had gotten very thin and, you know, she was meditating a lot, spending a lot of Mm -hmm. time with herself, not, you know, I think when she arrived in Victoria, she had some friends there and she would kind of go out and socialize and, you know, kind of living a regular mid-20s life and then you know six months later kind of made this huge shift I don't necessarily think this is like a recipe for mental illness but I think you know with maybe the diet restrictions and that sort of like drastic life change it could have brought something on or triggered something yeah and I mean like once you're cutting out all of those things maybe in an attempt to not relapse into those things she just avoided going to restaurants and bars with those friends so that she just eventually didn't see them that much anymore and maybe that could have further isolated herself and maybe led to you know feeling lonely and depression i think that's kind of it i think she was suffering from a like some depressive Mm -hmm. moments like I think depression was a thing and as I said before she is a Mm -hmm. private person I don't think that she let anyone else really in on her private thoughts like that she was feeling alone that she was feeling depressed at times hard for her to reach out so she couldn't really seek help for it because she wasn't telling anyone that it was a problem yeah exactly after Emma storms out of the shelter at 6.10 p.m., she hails a cab and is picked up not far from Sandy Merriman shelter. She asks the driver to take her to the airport, and she then asks how much the fare will be. The driver says it'll be about $60, and Emma tells him she just can't afford that. Okay. She actually just asked the cab driver to drop her off where she was picked up. I guess they had kind of moved a little bit down the road. And when they get back there, she she actually like doesn't want to leave the cab. So there's kind of this trend that I'm seeing of her liking the inside, like liking indoors and getting very scared of the outside of outdoors. Right. And like being alone. Yeah. So she asked if she could stay in the cab for a little while and he agreed, which I kind of felt like, oh, faith Aww. in humanity a little bit yeah, because that's nice. he said that Emma could stay in the cab until he's called to pick someone else up. Mm-hmm. So they just kind of sat there for a few minutes and then he got another call and she flinched when the radio went off in the cab oh. and asked him why there was sound coming out of the radio. Oh, yeah. what? I know. 
Come and, on, it's the dispatch. You know, the driver kind of said like, well, it's a radio. Like he didn't really know what to say. Dispatch, exactly. And Emma very quickly got out. She paid, she actually paid him for the small fare that it was on her debit card. And then she got out of the cab. Another weird thing is that she actually had $3,000 in her checking account. What? And remember that she also had that prepaid credit card from earlier for $200. But why is she saying that she can't afford the cab? Exactly. Why? Why? No. No, 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 no. Nothing's making any sense. It's like she's making no connection with reality here. It doesn't make any sense. I think this is escalating quite a bit Mm -hmm. at this point. So just moments after Emma gets out of the cab, a friend of Emma's, Dennis Quay, sees... Dennis Quaid? I was just going to say. I thought it was Dennis Quaid. No way. Hey, buddy. (laughs) Good old Dennis Quaid hanging out in Victoria. So Dennis Quay sees her looking disoriented. And so at this point, she's actually taken off her shoes and she's barefoot. And it's November in Victoria, which means it's like probably pretty cold out. It's pretty cold. And Dennis is worried about her. He approaches Emma and she doesn't seem to recognize him. But she's nice towards him because, you know, he's treating her nicely. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he says that she seems unable to cross the street. Like she's paralyzed in place when he finds her. Like she can't make the decision to cross the street? Exactly. Yeah, she's trying, but she can't. So Emma and Dennis actually walk a little bit together. And he's asking her questions, but she seems really off and uncomfortable with answering any of his questions. Because, I mean... It's like, to her, she just doesn't even know this guy? Exactly. Like, that. uh, to him, he's like, well, we're friends. Like, I know you. We've hung out before having conversation. But I think to her at this point, she doesn't recognize him. Yeah, like he's a stranger to her. Man, just like it totally sounds like she's having an episode. I think she's like disconnecting from her reality a bit mm-hmm. at this point. So at 7 p.m., Dennis ducks into a local restaurant to make a call to police to actually file a report about Emma because he's worried about her and he waits until they arrive. Oh, well, that's good. The police actually arrive and they talk with Emma and Dennis leaves. He just kind of backs away and leaves, thinking that she will be okay in their care. Right, like, she's in good hands now, I can go. But around 7.20 p.m., Emma is seen outside the Fairmont Empress Hotel, and she is still barefoot. What the fuck, cops? God! I know. So, I don't know if the police were called again, or they were just sort of patrolling and saw her, but police locate her clutching her shoes and they talk to her for 45 minutes outside okay they say that emma didn't speak much to them but she did answer their questions they asked her if she was having thoughts of harming herself Mm -hmm. or thoughts of harming others and she said no okay and then they said do you have a place to stay where are you off to where are you going next And she said that she was going to go for a walk and meet up with a friend of hers. At this point, the police just don't have any reason to bring her into the station. They can't arrest her. She's saying that she's fine, that she's not a danger to others. And they just, there's no grounds. There really isn't. And, you know, obviously with what we know now, it just, it sucks that they didn't take her in. I know. But they let her go off into the night. Fuck. And this was the last credible sighting of Emma before she disappeared. A couple of hours later, after Emma was seen with the police officers outside of the Empress Hotel, so 11 p.m., Shelley arrives in Victoria. This is just hours. Like, within hours, she misses Emma. (sighs) Okay, so her mom has made it to the shelter, and she's gone. And they tell Shelley that Emma is not there, but because of privacy laws, they can't disclose much information about Emma at all. I mean, I guess I can understand that. Like, if they're staying at the shelter to get away from a dangerous situation, I mean, they kind of have to try to protect them from that. Totally, and I totally understand. And I think at this point, they don't know that Emma is missing. Okay. 
but Shelly actually books a hotel room that has a view of the shelter from her window so that she can see if Emma shows up or not. What a smart mom. Yeah, and so, but actually she calls police and she reports Emma as a missing person like at midnight that night. Oh, like right away. Almost right away. And police show up to take a statement so they don't wait 24 hours at this point. Okay. Which is rare. We never hear that. Uh, yeah, shocker. We never hear that. No. So the women's shelter staff eventually tell Shelly that they notice changes in Emma's mood and state of mind over the times that she would stay with them. Depression, mm-hmm. possible suicidal thoughts, and becoming increasingly paranoid and scared. And this was all before her disappearance. So there was one instance that the shelter did disclose where Emma actually moved a bunch of furniture from the shelter onto the lawn, saying that the furniture was talking to her. Oh, oh no. And it's just like, this all happened before she disappeared. And in my mind, I'm just like, oh my God, if she had just gotten some help. I know. This is just screaming mental health. I know. Are we dealing with schizophrenia now? Like the furniture's talking to her? Like we just don't know. So the search was on for Emma in the days after she was reported missing. Okay, did they find any of her stuff though? Like what about all the bags that she was carrying around that day? Right, so the police actually located her van and it was eventually towed from the Chateau Victoria parking lot. And it had all of her belongings in there. It had her passport, her laptop, journals, her camera, who she, like she loved her camera and books and library books that she had just recently taken out so just like all of her stuff all of her stuff was basically in this van which makes sense why she kept wanting to get the van back because right it had everything it was basically her home but what about the bags that she was carrying around like were those in the van too so i'm not sure about the bags i think that she had the bags with her when she disappeared her purse i don't believe was ever found okay and she had her wallet with her in the purse even if she didn't have her passport like she still had her wallet and you know she had her debit card and all of that stuff okay but they never found that no so that has never been found and when police went through her belongings you know they looked through her laptop they read her journals all of that yeah they were specifically interested in a letter that she had wrote and they were worried that it could be a suicide note. So I'm going to play it for you now, and it's read by a voice actor on CBC's The Fifth Estate. To everyone. From dead Emma. Hello. I figure someone will be on this computer at some point and will read this. Okay. So I'm dead. Floating about on energy or not. Watching dying stars, reviving stars and dreaming milky dreams and shadow dancing on your timelines or whatever. Good luck, every heart. I love you, M. So what do you think? Well, I understand why the cops were particularly interested in this. Like, that's very indicative of suicide to me. Yeah, so when I first heard this, I was like, okay, she's been contemplating death, like she's been thinking of things. But someone made a good point in an article that she was a creative thinker and she was a poet. And could Mm -hmm. this just be perhaps like a someday when I'm gone, I hope someone reads this like a poem after I'm gone kind of thing. Yeah, I guess that's possible. It's possible. And the hardest thing about this case is there are so many different scenarios like one of them would be that Emma mm-hmm. decided to end her own life that, that night. And the other would be that Emma met with foul play on her walk that evening. And another would be that Emma decided to just disappear on her own. Maybe it was an accidental death. Or maybe it was accidental yeah. death. Totally. In the state of mind that she was in, like maybe something happened and it literally was just an accident. Yeah, there's so many possibilities. So the investigation is still ongoing, but in those early days when they were searching, it just turned up nothing. Searches were conducted in the area and no evidence of Emma, her clothing, anything like her bags, nothing was ever found. 
One thing, though, is that police got a hit on Emma's prepaid credit card oh. that she bought at the 7-Eleven. After the fact that she's been missing. After she disappeared. How do they even know that it was her credit card? So I believe that they went back to the 7-Eleven and interviewed the, you know, attendant that was behind there. And he gave the police the code from the prepaid oh, credit okay, card because like, they have all that in the system. Right. And based off of the time of the transaction. Yeah, because they had the security footage so he could go back in the logs and see, okay, okay this one was purchased. So like at this time, at this time, and it was to her. Yep. So they had a hit, like they had a what do you call it? Serial number. They were tracking it. Yeah. Yeah. They were tracking it to make sure you know if it ever popped up and was used, they would know about it. And the police found out that it was being used by a man who actually found the prepaid credit card on the ground by a rec center, and the rec center is beside a well-known trail in Colwood. And Colwood is a, a suburb of Victoria. Okay. So I looked it up, and that trail is a 30-minute drive from the Empress Hotel in downtown Victoria. So if he did, in fact, find the prepaid credit card there, and he's telling the truth, did Emma end up taking a cab out that way? Or did she find a ride from someone, like hitchhiking or something? And, you know, where was she headed? Right. And again, I... I keep coming back to this. Why wasn't she just driving her van? Like, well, I mean, there's no insurance. I know the insurance might be a thing, but I'm still like, even uninsured, I, like you have I a know, vehicle, like, you could just get in it and go. And if this is the case with like her mental state, she just like wouldn't care and she would drive. I mean, did they check her debit card? Yes. So her debit card has never been used after that day. And the odds of her having cash on her were very slim, probably. She didn't have, I don't think she had cash on her because she kept paying with that debit card. So how the fuck did that card end up there? So the man who found the prepaid credit card was actually asked to take a polygraph test because they were thinking maybe he could have been a suspect. Right. And he actually passed. Like, oh. they cleared him 100%. Okay. He was uh, definitely someone who lived on the streets, and he did say that he was quite intoxicated for most days, and so his best guess is that he found it where he found it. But he, was, um, he said he was more certain that he found it in Colwood versus finding it by the rec center. So I think even if he didn't find it by the rec center, there's still a pretty good chance that he found it in that area. Yeah, like either way, that car ended up in another town. If it hadn't been used yet, like how did it get there? So Shelly truly led the charge on finding her daughter and she was staying in Victoria to conduct searches and she was putting missing persons flyers up all over the city. But Emma was and has never been found. There was an interesting development in May of 2014. This is two years after Emma disappeared. And this is when an angry man, like totally agitated, walks into a clothing store in Gastown, which is a neighborhood in Vancouver. And as we know, Vancouver Island, you have to take a ferry or take a flight to get back to Vancouver. So, you know, he's there, he walks in, and apparently he had torn down a missing persons poster of Emma because oh. her mom had actually gone to Vancouver thinking that perhaps Emma had ended up there right. and put missing persons flyers up. And he tore it down and he crumpled it up in his hand what? and was saying that Emma was with him as his girlfriend and what? that he just wanted everyone to leave it all alone. Um, did that get followed up? This was all caught on security footage, and the police actually went and interviewed the people who were working at the boutique that day, so they got this information from them, but his identity has never been confirmed. They couldn't figure <sighs> out who right this off. guy was. I guess maybe he wasn't in the system for facial recognition. I don't know. And maybe even the security footage didn't give them like a good enough accurate kind of pixels. like. The only thing is that he had a tiger tattoo. That's kind of like his most distinguishing feature. Well, fuck, couldn't the people in the store like give a description of the guy? Like, this is a big freaking deal. I'm sure that they did, but he has never been identified to this day. Oh, that's super frustrating. And another dead end, really, right. at this point. Yeah. Then there was 
a recent development in this case, as recent as 2018. Oh, okay. So a man came forward to tell of a sighting of who he thought might be Emma. Oh. He states that around 5 a.m. on November 29th, 2012, which is just hours after Emma disappeared, because she disappeared late on November 28th. So it's the same, yeah, same day. He saw a young woman darting back and forth on the side of the road. Like, I'm sorry, what the fuck were you doing sitting on that? According to him, he just kind of remembered it when he saw the case somewhere in 2018 and was like, I saw that girl. But not only did he see her, he pulled over to her. He pulled over to help her and asked what was going on because he noticed that she wasn't wearing any shoes and that she was soaking wet. And she got in his car. Like, I don't, he doesn't even say, like, I asked her to get in. She just got in to his car. And the man said that when Emma was inside his car, she was calm. So... Because she wasn't outside anymore? Kind of goes back to what I was saying, where it seems like she likes to be indoors, and then when she gets outside, something triggers her. Right. So she's inside the car. She asks him to drop her off in Colwood, which, Ooh. if you remember, oh my God. is where the other man said that he found Emma's prepaid credit card. Right. So she was there. The man driving who he now thinks was Emma, like at the time he doesn't know who this woman is, right? He says that he, you know, Colwood wasn't on his usual route. Like it wasn't, it was kind of like not where he was going at all. So he said, I can drop you off close by, but, and he's like, it, it won't take you long to walk there, but I can't get you like in there, which in my opinion is Ugh. kind of still a dick move, but For sure. I get on. it. Like, well, I mean, like, if you're helping somebody and you're helping this person, you don't just half-ass it. Like, you take them where they ask you that they need to go. Just take her there. Yeah. I know. So, again, I, I, I don't love this story, but this is what he says that he did. So, he says that when she got out of his vehicle, she again became paranoid and scared, acting erratic. How can he confidently say when that was? Six years is a long time. Like, if I was recalling something that happened six years ago, I couldn't tell you what month it was or, like, what a day it was. Like, it's kind of sus to me. Well, to play devil's advocate, I mean, I again, I felt the same way when I read this. I was like, mm, not sure about this guy. But to play mm -hmm. devil's advocate, we still do need tips in missing persons cases. For like, sure even if they're cold cases and it is yeah. six, 10, 20 years later, we still yes. want people to come forward with tips. So like, I am glad that even if it is six years later, he came forward, but I think that it is suspicious. And I honestly don't know how credible I take his tip. I'm just not sure. Like, mm -hmm. is he just trying to insert himself into the case somehow? Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. Like some people just like the attention of being involved in the case, but it could also be the person responsible who's inserting themselves. I just find it weird how he can pinpoint that date from six years ago. Unless it was like a significant day that he could tie it back to. So like if something important happened that day, like he started a new job or something, and then you could match that day with it. You know, that's a really good call. Like perhaps he, you know, was going to work or something yeah. and... He did something, sent a certain presentation or like, I don't know, had some sort of timestamp on something he did. And he was like, oh, you know what? When I picked up that girl, mm -hmm. I actually also did this right. and I can timestamp this, which makes me sure that it was the same day. Exactly. And I mean, the sad part is, though, after this tip, that is all we know. Ugh. It has been almost nine years since Emma disappeared, and we are nowhere closer to finding her. God. So I have to ask, what is your theory? What do you think happened? Personally, based on the way that she was behaving, I think that she may have accidentally died. Like, it's so hard to find a body. Like, people go missing all the time, and they just are not found. So maybe it was just an accident. I know. 
I, that's kind of where I'm leaning towards. I know that investigators did a dive search of the harbor just in case she had fallen in and found nothing. I mean, there's a current that comes in and out of the harbor, though. So I, I actually wondered about that, too. And they say that if she had fallen in as, like, where Victoria kind of boardwalk mm-hmm. is on the harbor, even if she was carried out by a current, she wouldn't have gone very far because of how the system is in that harbor. Okay. So someone had kind of done the research on the Fifth Estate and had said, you know, it wouldn't be a huge radius that we would have okay. to look because uh, it, she wouldn't have like been carried out into the ocean, for okay. instance. Uh, well, what about in Colwood? Like, is there any open water in that area? No open water, but there are a lot of forests. Okay. So they've done a lot of searches of the area in the forested area specifically to try to find anything. They've brought out cadaver dogs. They have tried everything, really, and God, It just nothing. blows my mind that someone can just go missing. How does someone just disappear? Yeah. So Emma Filipov was a free spirit with a desire to travel She was a creative soul and a talented photographer and writer. She was loved by everyone who knew her and her family desperately wants and deserves answers. If you happen to have any information on this case, please contact Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Hopefully, we will have some answers in the years to come. The family is still trying to keep this case in the public eye, with the Nighttime podcast doing a full series on Emma, and Shelley is still doing interviews with podcasts and news outlets. Searches for Emma still continue in the vast forested areas around Victoria. But, unfortunately, we are still left wondering, whose crime is it anyway? Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Whose Crime Is It Anyway? We'll be back next week with our next case. Until then, follow us on Instagram at Whose Crime Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Whose Crime Pod. Bye. Toodles.